Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, this is Mark Striegel. We are hanging out here at Local. It's a bar located uh, right by Madison Square Garden on 8th Avenue and 33rd Street. Actually, the entrance is on 33rd Street on the corner of 8th. Uh, we are totally psyched because Fuse has decided to re-air Talking Metal on Fuse on Thursday at 11 p.m. That's Thursday the 13th. You know what? I didn't even know it was a Thursday. I thought it was a Wednesday, but you're probably right. It's a Thursday. Yes, it is a Thursday, and I'll uh, double-check that right now. But I think you're going to be out in L.A. at that point, right? Yeah, I'm actually going to be in Los Angeles on December 13th, and you're going to join me in Los Angeles on December 14th. And uh, we have some amazing stuff coming up. We'll fill you in on all that later. But... What we want to do today is something really, really special. Mark, why don't you tell them about it? We had the honor of uh, interviewing Nikki Six, which a lot of you guys know because you've already seen the Fuse show. And again, if you haven't seen the Fuse show, tune in to Fuse on December 13th, which is a Thursday at 11 p.m. But we had the honor of uh, interviewing Nikki for the show. We picked him up at his hotel down in the Meatpacking District in New York City. And drove him up to his book signing in Times Square, uh, where he did a book signing for the Heroin Diaries uh, at the Virgin Megastore in Times Square. So it was a lot of fun, and and with traffic, it took a good 30 minutes to get up there. And the whole length of the interview, you'll you'll hear, starts with us getting in the car. Nikki hangs up the phone. He'd been talking to his son. And uh, we start the interview, and it ends when we pull into the garage at the Virgin Megastore in Times Square. And uh, I think about 27, 28 minutes it took to get up there. Yeah, I had such a great time during that interview. It was such an honor to be hanging out with Nikki Six. I mean, in 1982, you know, I was such a big, huge Motley Crue fan, and to, to be with a legend was amazing. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is we probably only went about three miles with him in the car, and that's how long it took. Uh, I was just reading in a book that has all these facts on New York City that the average speed of a car driving in New York City is six miles per hour. You know what's so funny is that I actually took a cab from 75th Street today uh, from a wine store where I uh, left my glasses, unfortunately, um, to... 32nd Street, and it cost me $17. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. This place is insane, uh, but yet we love it. We love New York City, and we love L.A., and we are heading out there. Maybe, I don't know how much time we're going to have, but we're going to try to set up a, a place where we can go have some beers with the Talking Metal L.A. listeners. Originally, I wanted to do it in Santa Monica. Don't know if we'll be able to do it in Santa Monica. It might have to be in Hollywood. But uh, we'll keep you guys posted to if and when that is happening. But without any further blabbering here, let's get into the uh, interview with Mr. Six. Absolutely. This is an interview that we did, as Mark said. This is the complete uncut interview. You guys have seen some amazing parts of the interview on the Talking Mental on Fuse show, which will once again be broadcast December 13th at 11 p.m., 8 p.m., Pacific time, correct? No, no, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Yeah. No, so no. You, yeah, 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 three-hour time difference. Yeah, 8 to 11, right? 8 p.m. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. So 8 p.m. on the West Coast, 11 p.m. on the East Coast, and I'm not sure in the middle of the country what it's going to be. Yeah, three-hour time difference, not a four-hour time difference. Okay. Yes, uh, 8 p.m. in L.A., on December 13th and 11 p.m. here on the East Coast. All you people in between, just uh, figure it out on your own. Right, absolutely. And guess what? Just about anybody who has digital cable has got to have Fuse at this point because Comcast just picked it up in a bunch of places. Uh, we know Time Warner has it. Cablevision, of course, has it. And I'm sure that you guys have it. If you don't have it, go to your friend's house. If you don't have it, call up your cable company and demand to get Fuse. The coolest channel. As Nikki Six says in this interview, he quotes, Fuse is the coolest channel out there. Coolest network out there, he says. Check out myspace.com slash Fuse Talking Metal. And here is Nikki Six. Okay, killer, I'm dying to see you. All right. Okay, I love you. Bye. My son, he fucking rocks. Amazing. He's so cool. All right. You guys all set? Yeah, we're good. Well, this is kind of, I've never done this. This is crazy. An interview in a van going to your signing for the amazing book, The Heroin Diaries. In New York City, my favorite city in the world. Cool. We're in the meatpacking district right now. We're going up to Times Square. But, Nikki, I got to tell you that I've been carrying this book with me for seven days in a row, yeah. showing it to everybody. And when I finished, not the book, but just your last yeah. entry yeah. for your diary, uh-huh. I was crying at a bar yeah. in the Empire State Building. Wow. Because See, it's, like, this it's book touching had, people emotionally, which is you know moving me, too. Absolutely. This book had such an impact on me that it's helping me all over the place in not just what I do on a daily basis, but just... I have, I'm addicted to different things, and uh, yeah, we all are. This thing is really yeah. making an impact on me. Yeah, 
You know, it's interesting when when I found the the actual diaries. The reason that I wanted to publish them was because this 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 was the reaction that I wanted. I really wanted that reaction from people because inside, as you if you've experienced, is there's the quest for what what's going on. You know, what happened? Why? How can I be? How can I be on a jet selling out arenas? Be on the cover of Rolling Stone, and something's not firing right. Something's something's misfiring in my stomach, and I don't know what it is. Not saying I didn't have fun. I won't apologize for. For the debauchery, it was a great time, and I still have a great time. But there was just something missing, and that's what I get out of the diaries more than the drug addiction is the quest for what went wrong. But what was wild is that the other guys in the band had their families mm-hmm. and wives and whatever they had. But the thing that struck me is that you did the tours, and then you'd go back to your house yeah. in Van Nuys, and you were alone. Yeah, and. And, part, and partially, a, a while, you, know, probably, you know, probably self-imposed, you know, barricaded and isolated. It's, it's. I guess I chose that because I didn't feel connected to anything else other than rock and roll. So when rock and roll wasn't happening, it was a bad thing. See, I know that the 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 book emphasizes a negative time, but I have to say there was the guy that Ross Helfen brought out on tour. Yeah, right. Jason. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I wish that I could have been him hanging yeah. out with you guys. Well, you know what? The book, what I get, too, is a lot of people, they say they laugh out loud. Right. Have you seen the uh, the cartoon, that rabbit, Life in Hell? You guys ever seen Possibly. that? Possibly. I don't, I don't know if it's an East Coast thing. but Maybe it's a West Coast. It, it's a West Coast thing. And there's this rabbit, and this, this rabbit, he's like this quirky-looking, demented rabbit, always gets himself in, in a mess. And it's his life is in hell because he never means to do it. So like the girl's panties when the girl comes to the door right. and I give oh, her yeah, panties that, well, back. Oh yeah, well that's insane. And she right. said, well they're the panties like, are mine but the shoes aren't mine? Right. Or which one? Or, what, yeah, the, the panties aren't mine. I, that's like how it still is to a certain extent. If there's dog shit in the middle of the road, I will in somehow be the guy who steps in it. Right. And and I've, I actually really laugh at it because that's like kind of part of the motley um way as well is that we actually always seem to do the wrong thing but yet somehow get out of it. Right. And it's just, I think that's kind of hopeful to everybody else on the planet. Definitely. Now tell us about the CD. 6 a.m. Yeah. And this is kind of the soundtrack to the book. Yes. And it's, uh, John and I were talking earlier, it's almost like a concept record but instead of like Quadrophenia where it's fiction, this is, this is a real real deal, right? Uh, Are you guys going to be playing gigs? You know, I, I tell you what, first it was me and James Michael and B.J. Ashba, my uh, lead singer and guitar player. We had no intention of ever putting anything on it except for the Heroin Diaries soundtrack. Just like any other soundtrack for a movie. It doesn't say, by Danny Elfman. Well, maybe now it says by Danny Elfman, right, but right. It usually it's just the soundtrack to whatever the movie is. And we saw a movie in our head from the book. And then uh, radio started freaking out. And they wanted to play Life is Beautiful. And they said, what's the name of the band? I said, there's not a name of a band. We go, we can't, we want to play it. So you need a name of a band. So that, that's the worst. Trying to come up with a band name in 2007. It's right. hard because every cool name is probably it's taken. It's taken. Right? So DJ, uh, who's not a DJ, who's a guitar player. DJ, Ashba. Ashba, right. Phenomenal guitar player. Said 6 a.m. I said, wow, that's like the hour you're coming down. That's right. the, this is like a crazy. Perfect for this book. Yeah, and my last name's six, Ashbin Michael. So um, 
A.M. Right. Yeah, and, and, and I said, great, number 6 A.M. He goes, no, S-I-X-X A.M. I go, there's no way we're going to have my name in the band name. And uh, he said, yeah, we have to. So they, str- they fought with me about this until finally one of them said, you're trying to raise awareness. You're trying to raise money for a charity. Use your name, dude. You sold 45 million records. Use your name. So I was like, all right, okay. So now I'm, I'm okay with it now, but I really had a struggle. I'm such a being a band guy. Right. Yeah, but this is like a, a, a different thing because now you're t- telling these guys, no, I don't want my name in the band. I yeah. want... I wanted you know, to, be it to be a full thing, yeah. you guys. But it's cool because, you know, I started writing a novel, and it's very dark and very telling of a lot of things that I can't tell you about, but it, people will go, oh, I know what that's about, or oh, I know what that part's about. It's one of those type of things where you, it's really going to be the truth, but in novel form, and we're going to score a soundtrack to it and do it again. Cool. Awesome. And so is, are we going to tour? We played one gig live. And it was such a rush to be on stage with a different band, with a different sound, with a different presentation, that, um, you know, I started going like, yeah, maybe maybe we could do this, but we're, we're going to wait and see what happens. Did you know that DJ Ashby's uh, first gig that he saw was you guys? Yes. Which is out of control that now he's in the band with Yeah, he, he tripped, he tripped, and we, and we have a studio together, Funny Farm Studios. Wow. We were always writing. We just uh, wrote with uh, Drowning Pool for their new album. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah we, and that's... We spoke that. with Stevie recently. Yeah. He was talking about the experience. Yeah, it was a great experience. They're a great band, great guys. And it was cool because I sit down and talked with them with DJ, and I said, you know, what do you guys, what do you guys want, want to do? And as an artist, I can say to another artist, you know that there's 50% of the planet that you're not selling records to. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, I don't know a lot of chicks that are running around singing Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. I right. love the song, but you got to have a song the way Van Halen, when they were raw, or the way even Sabbath, when they were raw, reaches the chicks and the guys. And I go, if I can help you do that, I feel like I'm you know, being of service for you guys. And because I go, you guys got the other side covered. And between them, their ideas, me and DJ's ideas, I think we wrote a song that... Is, is universal, and yet the Drowning Pool fans are going to embrace it. And you know, songwriting is a craft. It's it's not just like throwing mud against the wall. I mean, it's actually it's a craft. You have to like really get it just right, and it's a struggle. And those guys are high class guys. See, I wanted to talk about something in the book, and one of my favorite ever written rock songs in the world is Wild Side. And I was reading some of the entries when you were headed to the studio for rehearsals at Denny's, and maybe you might want to elaborate or not on that. But the thing is that you were writing insane songs that, to me, back in the day, were were my favorite. They're still my favorite. Mm -hmm. I I just uh, got the... um, the second version because I had the original record but yeah. I got the remaster um, of Girls, Girls, Girls yeah. and I like the fact that there's the instrumental versions of this. Isn't that the interesting? Stuff. It's really yeah. cool to hear it like not mastered yeah. and Yeah, I felt as a fan that's cool. You guys cool. added yeah. a lot of cool stuff on yeah. all the, the Which is so stuff. cool that you guys bought your stuff back and put it out your way the way you wanted to do yeah. it. And, uh, you know, you said the same thing. How are these bands, you're the creators of the music, you do this, and then the labels 
own it. Or the business people own it. How is that? You should well, own it. And it's, it's it, such an old school network yeah, idea. It just doesn't work. And the other thing is, I mean, you know, as a as a business, if you look at the percentage of album sales that are successful versus the amount of product that they put out there, if you went with that business model to any major Coca-Cola, anybody say we got it, we got a plan. We're gonna spend hundreds of millions of dollars and only sell five percent of the product. We're only gonna sell a little tiny bit because right. we're just gonna throw it against the wall and if right. it sticks, if it, it goes, sticks. It's good. If and it, it doesn't, and it if doesn't. it doesn't, it doesn't. They don't you care. Know? Oh, and it's just ridiculous because I think you know album sales can go up because artists can connect to fans who is the consumer by cutting record companies out that do not do nothing more than bank. And distribute. I think record companies are valuable distribution houses. Right, you know, right. we allow Universal Music to distribute our music. Motley Records. Yeah, Motley Records, and they distribute it, and we market it, and we give them the product, and we own the product. And if they do a bad job, we take it away from them. We go to somebody else that distributes it, and that keeps everybody a little bit on their toes. Allows us to always do the right thing for the fan and not do the right thing for the record company. You know, their their job is, and for fans that don't know this, their job is to collect masters. They collect 500 bands, and when they have 500 bands with four records each, you know, they've got thousands of songs, you know, and thousands of albums. Then they take them and they go, let's go merge with Seagram's. Let's yeah. go merge with Starbucks. And they take your music the stuff that you did. and they make money off of it after even if they shelved you so you they know still I own it they still own it so you know, I always say to all my friends and musicians I go make the record yourself even if you have to go get a loan from a bank go make the record yourself you can make it. the the heroin Diaries album is one of the best sounding records yeah it cost fifty thousand dollars to make Seriously? Yeah. yeah. I believe you. I believe you. I 50, just can't believe it. $50,000. I've heard the stories of uh, spin, albums costing so much money, yeah. and that is crazy. I know. And so because, you, you can do it, and then you own it, and then, you know, I think that that's the right thing to do for especially young metal bands and, and rock bands that don't necessarily fit into a niche that's um, accessible. Right. I was listening to Accidents Can Happen today, and yeah. that sounds like the biggest, you know, great ballad uh, like of all the great albums that came out and I can't believe that you guys m made that album for that much money and still put out quality stuff like yeah. this I mean it's crazy it's amazing well, that that song was, um, was it's a one, great song it's man. one of those things that just came we, we were we were saying you know we feel that we needed we had a double album of music but we were kind of defining it by subject matter and defining it by how the album flowed and we felt like we wanted this one Song that was just heart wrenching that related to the subject of relapse, and that song we wrote it and recorded it and put it together in one afternoon. It was just one of those crazy. things. That's we were all driving home in our cars and we were listening to the demo. Yeah, listening to it, calling each other on cell phone, going, um, "I can't believe this we wrote we, we, this happened." It's just one of those things. I mean, the the record to me feels like if you listen to the see, I read the book before I listen to the record which is unusual most people yeah, hear yeah. the record and then the book and uh, and it was wild for me because uh, I really I really like listening to the record after reading the book and I, I don't know if you prefer people listen to the record first and then read the book or not well, well I mean we released the record first because we wanted people to get into the music 
then get the book and then go, wait a minute, and go back and rediscover some things about the, um, the album. But it doesn't really matter. Which, whichever way that it works for people doesn't matter. I, I, I just like the idea that you know no one's ever done a soundtrack to a book before. Right. It's insane. It's, it's, it's fun. I wanted to ask you about somebody who gets left out of a lot of the history of, of Ozzy Osbourne, mm-hmm. Motley Crue, Randy Castillo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite drummers. Yeah. Any memories you could share with us about going on the road with yeah. Randy and, and playing Ran- with him? Randy had the same... Um, Thing about him that I feel about Slash, which is salt of the earth. You're always comfortable around him. He was always chill, mellow. He could be walking down the street or walking on stage. He was the same guy. He loved music. He loved the history of music. He loved. He was very proud that he was from Albuquerque, and you know, not a lot of um, <laughs> artists had come from Albuquerque, right. and. And he had um, such a soul about him. It was, it was amazing, and, and a talented drummer. Really, I was really always talented. a fan of his drumming, and he I got was sick when he while, got into the crew. Sorry to cut you off. No, he, he got say. sick while you guys were recording, or right after. Right after we finished, yeah, yeah. 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 It was it was sad, and then, then it went into remission, and it looked like he was going to be able to go back out on the road with us, and right. then it kicked back in again. See, you guys wanted him to go out with you, but mm-hmm. the thing is, you had to protect his health that was the hardest thing to do is when he told me he goes come on let me go and I said Randy I go you know we've talked to your doctors and they just said it's not a wise thing he goes I need to tour and I said it it could be a disaster for your health so you know he stayed home went through the chemotherapy then he it went into a remission or it was controlled and then we had the talks about actually Yes, coming back out on the road. I yeah. was excited because um, you know I just love his energy and, and his drumming, and then it kicked back in again. And so you know we, we all gotta sort of you know look at each day we have and grab it you know by the throat and shake yeah. the hell out right. of it because we don't really know what's gonna happen. You know, speaking of Randy, and you said Slash, you mentioned Slash too. You thought Slash was like the younger brother you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is out of control. And I. Being, I can't believe being the metal fan that I am, mm-hmm. did not know that you and Slash had this amazing relationship right. until I read this book. Right. And I saw Guns N' Roses in 1987 in the small club, probably right after they toured with you guys. Okay. Didn't they like ask you for advice and stuff? You guys kind of I mean, yeah, took they, them under they your wing. They were a young band, and yeah. they, you know, they had questions. I, th- and stuff. I think I saw them after they did the Girls, Girls, Girls stuff, and then went out on their own for a club tour. I yeah. saw them. Did they do the Cult before us, and then us, or did they do the Cult after us? I think it. They, sure. I think they did the Cult after you guys, yeah. but I'm not sure. But I saw them when they were just they were headlining a club tour. Yeah, I like, remember going into the Rainbow, and seeing Axel and Axel grabbing me by the coat and going, going Nikki, our song got added to uh, MTV or, or something like that. And yeah, it was, it was obviously MTV. VH1 wasn't really doing... Around um, at that yeah, point. At doing, that or point. it was around maybe, but not doing yeah, that kind and, of stuff. Yeah, and Fuse wasn't... So um, that was the big thing if you could get on MTV right. because they were playing videos. Right. You know, and not reality shows. So I remember him telling me that and then seeing it come on and I was... They'd made that video before they'd even toured with us. Right. I mean, that that record was, was dead in the water. It took a long time to well, break. Well, that's what right? I, re- I read, that the, the label was ready to just, like, say, go make your second record. Mm-hmm, but then mm-hmm. you guys took them out on tour, and then everything blew up for them. Yeah, well, I mean, they people saw them in a big arena, and they were a great band. 
you know, as a raw, just band, but they, they had great songs, and there was a chemistry. You know, it's very much like Motley. There's a chemistry. Nobody can really explain it. You can never explain why a band's successful. I mean, if you want to break down the Rolling Stones piece by piece, I can't imagine that if you really to analyze it, it sounds very like a, like a recipe for success. You know what I mean? You, you, you go, you think about it. You think about Motley Crue, and you go, that, that doesn't really work. You know, you got a drummer who plays overplays and he plays rhythmically you got a bass player that comes from pop punk roots you got a guitar player that only listens to the blues you know you got a singer with this weird voice this is never going to happen which we were told but we didn't listen thank I'm god glad you didn't listen but most bands that you know are somewhat unique and in fact the more unique actually the bigger look at you too yeah i mean i remember when you two first came out i didn't get it and then they've done some amazing work over the years. Absolutely. And um, rock and roll is very strange, isn't it? it? Is yeah, I promise not to laugh at this, but in... It should be 83, 84, I was in ninth grade. And we had these things called school dances. Right. And they, I, they I weren't the put on... Dance. You remember the school dances? <laughs> yeah. They weren't actually we put on read. by the school. Well, tell me about well, your... Well, no, we used to, like, you know, go for the girls, but... Right, well, see, we should have been going for the girls, but instead we were excited about the Shallot the Devil release, and we took a cassette, right. we gave it to this DJ, right. and we said, put it on, and then we had about ten kids that were into Molly Crew. Right. And we uh, did the like air guitar head banging yeah. thing to shout at the devil. That didn't get you any girls. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we, yeah. none of us they went with the other girls. direction. Yeah, they made them run the other direction. <laughs> we thought that that was going to get us the girls, right, and right. Uh, but see, but unfortunately, it didn't. It didn't. Yeah. Speaking of getting girls, I'm friends with a guy named Casey Chaos. Yeah, and uh, he recently uh, married Tori. I don't know if you remember this, but he was said he was touring with with Brides of Destruction. Yeah, and you called this girl mm-hmm. right. and uh, we're, we're kind of put the strings in motion for their relationship. Do you yeah. remember any of that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those guys were cool. Yeah. And what's he doing now? He is in Las Vegas. He's uh, got a record recorded and yeah. he's looking for somebody to release it. And yeah. uh, it's kind of back to what you were saying. Uh, he's trying to maintain ownership of the Yeah, good for him. Good for him. Yeah, he has uh, a lot of passion for music and, and it's just a matter of finding people. That, there's great ways to distribute your music. I mean, let's use MySpace as an example. Right. I mean, MySpace is so powerful. If you have a relationship with MySpace and you can use their that portal to get out to the community that you're looking for, you can turn a lot of people on to music that they actually want to listen to. Yeah. They want to listen to. You guys have, the site is myspace.com slash the heroin diaries, or just well, heroin diaries. We got right? heroin diaries, um, and there's uh, MySpace, um, forward slash whatever just Nikki Six. Oh, cool and um, that's that's a good one you can you go there and you can find James Michael and DJ Ashby and learn about them and uh, the clothing line that I have Royal Underground yeah. which yeah, is absolutely. You know, doing really well so there's all kinds of stuff the charities there yeah the, the uh, running bomb in the night yeah. Let's talk tell about us that, about that definitely. a little bit because okay. that is something cool that you're giving back to people yeah. and people that run away I mean there's a lot of people in the world that I think could be helped by what you're doing and I just wish that they can all hear about this. Yeah, well, Covenant House uh, is right here in New York City, and they're all around the country, and I met them, and what they do is they go get kids off the street. The biggest reason for kids on the street is um, the foster care system. When they turn 18 years old, they are released, and if they don't have a family, 
obviously they wouldn't be fostered and right, fostered right. You know, either homes or in the, in the right. care system. So they have nowhere to go and they end up in gangs and prostitution and drug dealers and they sleep on the street and they, they kind of all bond together but dysfunctionally and you see them you know squatting in abandoned buildings and Covenant House goes and gets these kids not only they give them a place to sleep and food but they get them education they get them health care and they even teach them financial management and they get them back into the system so that they can come out the other side and, and do something good with their lives and actually do something good for society so one thing that you know, part of my story was I ran away from home when I was very young, and I only had a tiny taste of what they have to deal with, but it was enough for me to, you know, this to resonate for me. And creating a music program, which is Running Wild in the Night, inside Covenant House, gives them just one more reason to stick. Because you know what? Life's supposed to be fun. So if these kids are in there and they're getting therapy and they're you know in treatment and they're they're getting education, that's good stuff, but it's not fun. You know, but let's, if they have let's, a music program right. in there, it's cool. Exactly. Like they got something they got in Covenant House to do that's fun. Right. And schools, half of the schools in the United States don't even have a music program. It's so a the real fact issue. that they can go to Covenant House and get a music program is right. killer. And I didn't even know that that's what Running Wild Manana yeah. was. Yeah, so, you know, I'm just um, donating proceeds from the book to Running Wild in the Night so that we have, you know, money to keep this thing running. And I was recently in Washington, D.C., and I spoke on Capitol Hill and for. Uh, for NADAC and for SAMHSA, and you know, there's there's ways to try and um, get government funding for things like this. Bush just gave 99 million dollars to um, NADAC for um, all, all kinds of different ways of dealing with addiction in, cool. in America. And one of the one of the things that I really support is there's a thing called the Parity Bill, and the Parity Bill is going to, I hope, gets passed by Congress. It will be a federal law that will force insurance companies to have a um, rehabilitation implement into their into their policy. So that well, here's a real easy way of explaining it: You're a guy who has a job. Seventy percent of all people that have addictions have jobs. Okay, so they can't get rehab because they. Um, their insurance company doesn't cover it. So they lose their job, they lose their house, they lose their, lose their car, they lose their family, and it economically affects our country. So by putting this thing in place and forcing insurance companies to give people an opportunity to get treatment actually helps our economy. Yeah, it not only helps them, but it helps the entire economy of the United States. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And one of the things I wanted to mention is that even though Everybody has addictions. I might have different addictions than you had, but reading your book helped me in whatever addictions that I have. And cool. I think that's a cool thing because, I mean, it'll definitely, I think, help people with any kind of addictions. But for me, just, I, I, I rethink stuff now in the last yeah. seven days that I would normally do yeah, awesome. because I read it awesome. out of your book. That's great. And, that is and, so good. Thank and you. And I, I literally, Nikki, I feel like I've been with you for a year I'm tired, aren't book. you? <laughs> no, I, I'm tired, but I love it. I mean, like, like I said, through the good and the bad, I, I wish I was right there with you. And, nice. and anybody who's reading this, you'll feel that way. I yeah. mean, I didn't, some people read stuff fast. I yeah. read every word as if you were talking it to me in yeah. that, that real-time 
way. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and to me, that's why I felt like I was with you every single day from Christmas 1986 to yeah. Christmas 1987. It's interesting in how the record ties in with it. You can get the same right. feeling from the record, but it's like a little bit of a different angle. Right. Like, uh, as rock fans, we can listen to it as a rock album, or we can listen to it as a concept record, like you were saying, right. or we can listen to it as a personal journey, or I've had so many people that could come up and show me Life is Beautiful tattooed on them. Awesome. That's crazy. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, I mean, I love it. Like, I mean, I understand, you know, getting a Motley Crue tattoo 25 right, get, years of doing it, but life is a brand new band amazing. named 6AM, the song is connected with them so much. Yeah. It's a beautiful. Totally out of control. Yeah. And th this record is amazing. I mean, when I listen to the lyrics of Van Nuys and just think about the yeah. house, I mean, it's yeah. it has a, a huge impact on me. I mean, yeah. I would have... Have you ever been by the house? I, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going by, I went by it recently. Really? I went by it recently, and um, I was with DJ. And we, oh, had to, okay. we had to do something out that, that way, and I go, come here. Let me show you something. And I go, and the, uh, there's a, 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 a security thing. You have to push a code to open the gate, and it's bent. And, and did I, you bend that? No, Vanity oh, no. did. Oh, oh wow. I go, it's still bent 20 years later. Jeez. It's just like it's bent. I'm thinking, why didn't they straighten that thing out? But she I did it. Control. Well, Nikki, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you. And, I mean, we Thank feel like, I mean, first show I ever saw was uh, Motley Crue at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. Oh, yeah. yeah. With Saxon. Yeah, with Saxon. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, read the dirt, and I'm currently reading the new book. Nice. And you know, we just feel like we've been hanging out with a friend. Good. And uh, even though you don't know us at all. But yeah, but you know what I do know? I know that you guys started doing something really cool with this show. Thanks, man. And Fuse is doing it, and I think it's the coolest fucking thing. I think Fuse is the coolest network out there, and I think this is just a, a really important part of it. Well, thank thanks, Nikki. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right. Take care. All right. Let's go rock it. <laughs> Thank you. No worries, yeah, man. Really <laughs> no worries, man. You guys gonna hang out a little bit? Yeah, we'd love to get yeah, Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.